Scared to Death is explicit in every way. Please take care while listening. Whether thou art a ghost that hath come from the earth, or a phantom of night that hath no home, or one that lieth dead in the desert, or a ghost unburied, or a demon, or a ghoul, whatever thou be until thou art removed, thou shalt find here no water to drink. Thou shalt not stretch forth thy hand to our own. Into our house enter thou not. Through our fence break through thou not. We are protected, though we may be frightened. Our life you may not steal, though we may be scared to death. Welcome to Scared to Death. Hello. Creeps. Low. Pe- Peepers, Roberts, and Annabelle's. That was annoying. Why did you do that? You got to switch it up. You got to switch it up. Okay. <laughs> I'm Dan. We're just two lost young people. So could you please open the door and let us in? I'm playing oh my with God. my black-eyed child doll. I you forgot that, that she spoke. And she's so cute. And then I just thought, like, wait a second. Is she the original Wednesday? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Just the way she looks with her haircuts. Of, yeah. She's adorable. Anyways. Uh, happy Thanksgiving to <gasps> our American listeners uh, this coming out Thanksgiving week. Yeah. We hope your holiday is full of tasty food, fun moments with the family, and that no malevolent entities are tormenting you. Hopefully, at the very least, a lot of you can be thankful that this year you're not being haunted in some threatening, terrifying, menacing way. But if you are... <laughs> Send in your story of torment to my story at scaredtodeathpodcast.com so the rest of us can enjoy it. I love that pitch. (laughs) We can be thankful for your horror. Yeah, no, this is a great idea. I'm very thankful that uh, so many of you are still choosing to listen to this show every week. Uh, We do not take that for granted. Uh, One quick charity mention mention today, and then we are off. Off to the races. Mm -hmm. Okay. So this month, the month of November, my birthday month for Mm -hmm. anybody who forgot. (laughs) um, In November, we always choose a veteran military type nonprofit in honor of Veterans Day, which is also my birthday. Mm -hmm. Uh, This year, we have chosen to donate to the Blue Skies Foundation, also known as the Brotalian Blue Skies Foundation. It's a veteran-founded nonprofit dedicated to providing post-mishap support for the Army aviation community and their families. Uh, it's a tight-knit little community. So when, you know, we have been emailing with someone named AJ uh, on and off about this charity, and he explained to me that it's not just like— um, what you would think. Because I think we automatically go to like, oh, like in battle. It's like, no, I mean, they have to practice the things that they do. And sometimes those drills go tragically wrong. So um, we're we're honored to be able to donate to them. Thank you, AJ, so much for notifying us of this uh, charity. And we will be sending them $12,884 and putting aside $1,430 into the scholarship fund for next year. And and also just um, way back when in May, I had gotten in a car accident and an amazing police officer happened to come on scene and he was so cool and his name was Nick. And um, through a series of events, I just put two and two together uh, for our local listeners. He is also the police officer, uh, about 36 years old, I want to say, that died of a massive heart attack recently here in Post Falls. Just really sad, leaves behind a fiance and a couple of kids. And so just want to send love to his family. Uh regardless of them being fans. It's just mm-hmm. when you meet somebody, they become, it, it, they're not just a fan listening. Now they have a name and a face and we have pictures with him. And he hugged me after like a really scary car accident and made sure I was okay. And, yeah. um, you know, I wish that we could hug his family and make things okay for them, but just uh, hug your loved ones a little bit tighter. You just never know. Mm-hmm. 
Okay, uh, I will shift gears now into story previews. I'm going to be back to my standard two, a mysterious disappearance and an urban legend that some think is more than just a legend. Uh, My first story will focus on the strange circumstances surrounding the disappearance of a young man in Colorado back in 2008 named Joshua Maddox. Did he die in a terrible accident? Was he murdered? Finally, if he was murdered, was he killed by forces very much of this world or by something paranormal? And then my second story will bring us to the cemetery, to a cemetery in Iowa, where an angelic statue has gained a reputation for not being very angelic. Is the black angel of Iowa City, Iowa's, uh, of Iowa City, Iowa's, Oakland Cemetery, cursed? If you're not careful with when and how you approach it, can it choose to send you to an early grave? Okay. Uh, what are your stories? Um, sorry, I got hung up on the Iowa City, Iowa. I know. It's like, what is it? Like Idaho County, Idaho? Mm-hmm. It's so silly. Yeah. Uh, I have two stories this week. Shocking, I know. My first story is a very strange tale that I chose specifically for you. Okay. Uh, do we possibly have a haunted hot tub? <laughs> I, I okay. know this. I know. I know it sounds kooky, but wait, do you hear this story? It's so bizarre. All right. Okay. And then my second story is a classic top-notch haunted house. Lots of GTFO moments. It's fantastic. Awesome. Okay. I love those. Those are my favorites actually. I know. Okay. So a little bit of a, little bit of setup for this first story before I jump into the more unsettling parts. Uh, I will start when you're feeling cozied and secure. Uh, if you got your uh, different socks on for this week. Yes. Uh, they say manifest that shit and I yeah. just think they're fantastic. Awesome. Uh, we've covered several stories of missing persons on Scared to Death over the years. In every one of these cases, it's always such a nightmare for the family to have to suffer through the disappearance of their loved one, to wonder how they could possibly just be gone without a trace, vanish like a puff of smoke. I literally can't imagine. Oh, no, terrible. As the months and years pass with many sleepless nights and no answers, only more questions, the nightmare deepens. One has to imagine that for many of these people, even hearing the worst news, at least that would be some news. Mm-hmm. And that even if the news was that their family member had been found but not found alive, it would at least give them some closure. Mm -hmm. At least now they could grieve and attempt to move on with their lives. But what if that wasn't the case? What if a body appearing generated more questions than ever, more mystery, and deepened the nightmare? Time now for the tale of the boy in the chimney. On May 8, 2008, young Joshua Maddox, better known to his friends as Josh, 18 years old, left his parents' house in Woodland Park, Colorado, a little normally quiet and safe 8,000-ish person bedroom community of Colorado Springs for a short walk nearby. Josh lived with his father, Mike, his stepmother, unnamed in sources, and his two sisters, Kate and Ruth. Josh had long blonde hair, was six feet tall, spent most of his time writing stories, writing music, playing the guitar, drawing, very artistic. He came up with a comic strip called Stickman and Smiley, spent hours creating new scenarios, sharing them with family and friends, nicknamed Dwa by his sisters. Josh had a thoughtful, kind, loving personality. He enjoyed school. He got good grades, tested extremely well academically, loved his friends and family, also a free spirit, an adventurous soul, dreamt of possibly launching a career in music, loved spending time in the beauty of the nature of Colorado that surrounded him, found himself yearning to go on a big adventure involving a lot of mountains. But all was not positive in Josh's life. He also carried around a deep sadness. He'd experienced some significant tragedy somewhat recently, the kind of thing you never really totally get over. Almost exactly two years before Josh left uh, for his walk, his older brother Zachary had committed suicide. (sighs) 
It was a week before Zachary's high school graduation, and the death understandably ravaged the family, leaving them changed forever. But now, two years later, Josh seemed to be doing pretty well. Maybe it was all those hikes alone in the woods that helped him, that they, you know, brought him a a feeling of peace and contentment. So nobody thought twice when Josh left on the morning of May 8th, 2008, weeks away from his own high school graduation, for a hike. His sister Kate saw him disappear around the curve of some trees and figured, you know, worst case, he would be back in time for dinner. But he wasn't. He wasn't back the next day either, or the day after that, or the day after that, or the day after that. Finally, on May 13th, a full five days after Josh disappeared, his father Mike called the police to report Josh missing. He waited five days? Yes. While it certainly may strike many as odd that he waited so long to report him as it did me when I first read it, his family, they just still weren't sure anything drastic had happened due to Josh's mercurial nature in some ways. Kate would later remark that Josh had hinted at running away numerous times before and not in some angry, troubled youth kind of way, but rather in an adventurous sort of way. She said Josh was a free spirit, and he always told us that he was going to have a great adventure and that he may not talk to us for a while. And when he said a while, we thought maybe a few years. While Kate wondered if Josh finally left to start the grand adventure he'd talked about, their father, Mike, was frantically looking for him before the police were called. He later told the Pikes Peak Courier, I went to work one day and came home and he wasn't there. The next day, he still didn't come home. I called all his friends. Nobody'd seen him. Nobody knew where he was. I didn't know what to do, so I called the police. When I called the police, after waiting that period, uh, after he'd managed to contact all of Josh's friends, and after he felt like he'd given Josh more than enough time to return on his own, the police were not too alarmed. They were quick to float the idea that maybe Josh did just run away, and he was legally an adult, technically free to do as he wished, and there were no signs of foul play. Mike was not convinced there wasn't foul play. He persisted that something had happened to his son, And authorities, friends, and family now formed a search party and scoured the neighborhood and nearby Parkland area where Josh may have decided to go walking slash hiking, but absolutely nothing turned up. Not a single indication of what may have happened. Month after month, no fresh clues emerged. He had just vanished. Kate tried to believe that Josh had simply started another life, that he'd somehow become a successful touring musician or maybe written a novel under a pen name. Or that he realized that he preferred a solitary life in the woods. As unrealistic as all this this sounded, why wouldn't he at least call, though, and let her know and the rest of the family know that he was okay? But Kate still clung to hope. Seven years would go by without a single solid break in the case. There would be speculation that he had been murdered. More on that in a bit, but zero hard evidence. Finally, in 2015, part of this mystery would be solved. 80-year-old Chuck Murphy, a builder from Colorado Springs, decided it was time to demolish his old wood cabin on Meadowlark Lane. He had originally purchased the cabin way back in the 1950s. It was formerly the homestead of Thunderhead Ranch on Rampart Range Road on Woodland Park's north side, an infamous dining, drinking, and gambling complex owned by Big Bert Bergstrom (laughs) from the 1930s to the 1950s. Okay, Big Bert. Big Bert had come to America from Sweden in 1912 and had used the ranch as an illegal gambling and prostitution den. By 2015, the cabin had not been used for over a decade, had fallen into disrepair. It was time for Chuck to have the thing taken down to make way for property development. The whole area had started to get pricier, and Chuck stood to make some good money selling the raw land. There was a noticeable stench when Chuck arrived at the property August 7th, 2015. Animals, he figured 
It had happened before and would happen again. But as the workers dismantled the chimney, Chuck saw something. Oh. What looked to be a mostly skeletal human hand. When more stones fell away, he nearly fell to the floor out of shock. Before him now was the dead, very decomposed body of a young man, cramped into a fetal position with his legs curiously above his head. Dental records would later identify the body as belonging to Joshua Maddox. The cabin was only two blocks from the Maddox family home. Yet searches for Josh had completely overlooked the building. And when Chuck Murphy came back to check on the property previously, which he normally did a couple times a year, he had never noticed anything amiss. Sure, it smelled, but it had smelled since long before Josh went missing. The Teller County coroner, Al Bourne, did an autopsy, found no evidence of any drugs in Josh's remains. There were no signs of trauma, no broken bones, no knife marks, no bullet holes. He didn't starve to death either. So what happened? Hypothermia? Despite being May when he disappeared, it did still dip below freezing for the first few nights following his disappearance. Did he die of dehydration? Perhaps. Maybe some suspected Josh had decided to get into the cabin via the chimney and had become stuck there. But there were some problems with that theory. When Chuck Murphy had renovated the cabin 20 years before, including the chimney, he had a thick wire mesh hung from steel hooks installed to prevent raccoons and other animals from getting into the house. That entire setup was now nowhere to be found. It was unlikely that Josh had removed it and then also climbed down into the chimney. So had someone else removed it? And did they remove it so they could push Josh's body into the chimney and hide it? Maybe. But why go to all that trouble instead of just hiding the body somewhere else? It's not like chimneys are a common body disposal location. Also, the breakfast bar inside the cabin had been torn from the wall, placed next to the chimney as though to block it off from the inside. Who did that and why? To prevent authorities from discovering a murder? But if that were the case, why when Josh's body was found and he was only wearing a thermal shirt, was the rest of his clothing found inside the cabin, easy for anyone really looking to spot, folded up neatly and placed next to the fireplace? If he was murdered, why would a killer not do a better job of hiding his clothes when that killer had gone to so much trouble hiding the body? Making all this more confusing, Josh's body was found in the fetal position with his legs above his head. He would have had to enter the chimney head first in order to die like that. Why would he do that? Or was he pushed or thrown in? The police seeing all this did not suspect foul play. They didn't think he had been killed. So what did happen? If he was by himself when he died, why would Josh have first broken into the cabin? moved the heavy breakfast bar, placed it in front of the chimney, then taken off most of his clothes, folded them neatly, placed them next to the chimney, then headed back out of the cabin, climbed up onto the roof, finally dived half-naked, head-first, into the chimney. That doesn't make sense. Adding to the confusion, while the police never bit on the murder possibility, some of Josh's friends did. They would think his death had something to do with a man named Andy Newman. They would think Andy killed him. Josh had started hanging out with Andy shortly before he went missing, and after Josh went missing, Andy left, headed down to New Mexico, where he befriended the caretaker of a disabled man. Allegedly, one day, the caretaker took a shower while Andy was over at the apartment visiting, and when the man came out, he found the disabled man stabbed to death, and Andy was gone. Making Andy look even guiltier, when he was later arrested for this, he would claim to have killed another woman in Taos and stuffed her body into a barrel. The cops did find the remains of that woman, but already had charged someone else for her murder. Then, before the caretaker could be interviewed for the murder of the disabled man again, he died in a bar fight and the charges against Andy were dropped. Word of all this made it back to a few of Josh's friends. They filed a report with the police. Seemed like a big break in Josh's case. 
a known murderer, was hanging out with the guy who had disappeared. But nothing came of it. The police didn't even return their calls. One of the officers even informed Josh's friends later they thought Josh was alive and well and living in the next town over. What was happening? If Andy really did murder Josh, why was Josh's body not found with any signs of having met a violent end? The demolition of the cabin was finished on September 30th, just two days after Josh's remains were identified. Two days seems a little fast. Shouldn't they have spent more time investigating the crime scene? The police found nothing mysterious, though, about his death, saw no need to postpone the demolition and open a murder investigation. For them, there was no mystery. But for many others, Josh's disappearance was now more mysterious than ever. Seems unlikely that he'd been pushed or thrown down into the chimney. Also seems unlikely he crawled in himself. Who climbs down a chimney again, half-naked like that? Some think his death has something to do with the paranormal. The cabin was long rumored to have been haunted by spirits associated with the brothel. Shadowy entities had been witnessed in and around the cabin. Disembodied voices heard calling out from within the cabin. Even a woman's face was supposedly spotted at least once in one of the windows. Did the ghost of some woman, who for sure would have had reason to despise men after being mistreated by so many, did her spirit lure Josh into the cabin and to his death? Did some type of spectral siren call out to him, seduce him, trick him into taking off most of his clothes, eventually following them down into the chimney until they'd gotten, he'd gotten hopelessly stuck? And if that happened, once he was stuck, why didn't he scream? Why didn't he scream and scream and scream until someone heard his cries? Again, he was found just two blocks from his home, not way out in some remote and desolate patch of wilderness. Did something prevent his cries from being heard or mess with his mind in such a way he didn't even realize he was stuck, wasn't aware of the peril he was in? Perhaps his death was just a strange accident. Perhaps he was murdered by someone very much of this world. Or perhaps he was sent to his grave by something else entirely. Man, this is very bothersome. Mm-hmm. So, okay, I was certain when yeah. you were telling this, I was like, okay, he is a creative person who enjoys a good story. Mm-hmm. So, in my mind, going off on this walk, exploring this cabin, yeah, s- scoping out the chimney, I'm imagining he's like, I, I actually was thinking, I'm like, okay, he went inside, he pushed the table up against it, he's going to go head first down the chimney, he's going to come out on the table. Oh, and, right. You know, yeah. he's going to like have this like great, hilarious story about yeah. like, oh, okay, I did this, you know, silly thing. But when he was half naked or mostly naked, I'm like, right. that? Just wearing a shirt. That doesn't make any sense. Yeah. Even like, how does, that doesn't add to a good story in any way, shape or form. No. And there was no diagram and no like, well, I mean, essentially what would be crime scene photos uh, of like the the breakfast buffet, like pushed up by the chimney. But what I was definitely imagining after reading about it in a few articles was that, um, you know, somebody had pushed it to block like the opening of the fireplace where you would put the wood to burn. Mm-hmm. So like, like, just like try to close it in. Mm-hmm. In a way that you, you know, wouldn't want to be able to then see the person or maybe, I don't know, maybe they thought it would black the smell or something of the body. But I'm like, but that's so weird to then have the clothes folded neatly beside this thing. That was also like a very peculiar detail. And we've seen that detail come up in with killers. Yes. It's a remorse thing. Right. Right. So it could be. That's the thing. I mean, it could be, you know, a weird thing of like. Him and somebody else were up on the the roof, but like, okay, let's say that, let's say him and somebody else are up on the roof, and this other person does murder him and like pushes him into the chimney. Why is he half naked? And and and, exactly. it, and, and if he falls and he's and it, he was down a considerable ways from what I gathered. Again, there was no diagram. Sure. In the chimney, as opposed to like up at the very top. 
like when they were demolishing it, I, I didn't get the impression that he was like st- like stuck at the very top of the chimney. Well, sure, because if he was stuck at the top of the chimney, screaming and yelling would have garnered some sort of response eventually, right. I would think. Right. And, and, and if somebody like bashed him over the head and then pushed him in there, you would think that might come up in the autopsy, which it didn't. There was no signs of foul play. It, it is just a weird thing where it's like, why would he be up at the top of the chimney with only his shirt? Like that, even, even that is just that's weirder than being naked. I know. I know. OK. And then what was the official cause of death? They don't have one. They don't know. Because that's that's also strange. Okay, if you were going to dive down a chimney head mm-hmm. first, you would assume the cause of death would be like a snapped neck. Right. Right, that you would just like go so far down and you would hit something that you you couldn't see, like something's, you know, obstructing yeah. the path, uh, whatever, de- debris, yeah. uh, a brick that started to, you know, this is an old building, you know, it wasn't, sorry. Right, It wasn't right. perfect on the inside, like something. But that's odd. And... and- <laughs> And, and they said he didn't, it wasn't dehydration and he didn't start. to They're just to death. guessing. They're just, they, they, basically they could tell, I guess, by his, maybe by stomach contents. I don't know exactly how that works in a coroner's report, but they were able to rule out starvation. It's not like he st- got stuck in there that long where he slowly starved. Yeah. They thought maybe hyperthermia just based on the temperature of the area at night when he would have likely gotten stuck in there. They don't even know exactly when he went in there, but probably the same day that he disappeared. But also because... Okay, I mean, yeah. I'm sorry. I'm really mad at this father. Five days. I, I I'm sorry. I, I am I a parent, and I am telling you, our kid. Like, I know that this is a different era, and I know that like we can track our kids, mm-hmm. and we have cell phone trackers. Like, we have all these different modalities at right. our disposal now. All of that said, I am telling you, when our children are adults and they turn off their find a friend because we're no longer paying their cell phone bill, you know, like, and they have yeah. their autonomy. If I don't hear from them. With okay, mm-hmm. within 24 hours of like basically, if I don't hear from them every 24 hours, I'm gonna be a little panicked. No, no, once just, they have a yeah. partner or, or roommates, but it's like when you live alone, I don't know, it's like it's crazy. So, mm-hmm. to think about this teenage boy, I the fact that he wanted this story, all of that's actually more reason for me to go and look for him sooner because it's yeah. like, oh, my kid's been talking about like running away, right? And doing this, it's like, I don't care that you want to go out and have your own adventure and have your own life, but like, I'm your parent, yeah, and you're going to tell me where you're going. I know that, and that's like definitely like how we have done things where it's like there haven't been, there hasn't been a day with the kids where, you know, if somebody were to ask us like, where are they? I don't know. I know exactly where they are at all times. Right, right. It's like like when you're living under our roof kind of thing, it's like, yeah, we are going to know where you are. Uh-huh. And, you know, and even initially at college, if we're paying for college, it's like, we are going to know where you are. We're not yeah. going to like be in your business no. trying to find out exactly what you're doing. But we want to feel like uh, we're not having to worry about you, that you're not, that you're not, that you haven't disappeared. Right, right. Because crazy things happen all of the time. I know. All I, of the time. It's like the, the world is not, it's not as dangerous as we often think it is. Like the 24-hour news cycle makes mm-hmm, it very mm-hmm. challenging for us to believe that we live in a safe environment mm-hmm. for the most part. We are all safe. However, we all know tragedies happen. And, and I'm not even saying it's preventable. No. And, and, and I did a lot of speculating too. You know, it's like, I mean, I, my mind went to this place where it's like, because of his older brother. I know. What if the father was, you know, I just haven't, you know, had that experience. And I'm like, what if he shut down because of depression? Because sure, of just, you know, sure. like, that's such a trauma. Oh my I God. don't know. I don't know. And, it, and it I was, do feel bad for this dad. I don't want to mm-hmm, judge him because no. it's like, you know what? Nobody, and the sisters didn't seem... They didn't seem to bump on it. Exactly. And I was going to yeah. say, like, nobody knows a kid and their personality better mm-hmm. than their own family, mm-hmm. exactly. right? Exactly. So it's like, if this wasn't really, like, an odd or peculiar behavior, yeah. and I am certain that this father 
is beating himself up to this day. Sure. If I just would have looked sooner, if I just, if I just, and you can't and like live you said, like it, that. It wouldn't have changed anything in all likelihood. In all likelihood. But, but okay, going back to that, it's like, they don't know when he died or when he got in there. Right. So, and, and it was so long after he went missing that they found the body. Right. It's like, actually he could have been out having his adventure and then something else could have brought, he could have been on his way home. I know. Like there's just, I don't know, the lack of information. I, I do feel like there could absolutely be a paranormal element to this because also no evidence from a, any other person. Cause that's a strange thing too. It's mm -hmm. like you would have left behind, you would think some hair fiber, some footprint. How do you get up on a roof with another yeah. human? Let's just say yeah. without having left behind any evidence. That, and, that's a really hard situation to get yourself into without any yeah. other, uh, and that, and that nothing led, left behind. And that led to people speculating like, uh, were the police covering something up? Like, did they have something to do with it? Why did they let it be demolished so quickly? Right, I know. But, but that strange. can also just read as like small town uh, who, who don't deal with very many homicides. Um, and we don't know, you know, based on the articles, what the crime scene really looked like. Yeah. You know, they could have done a, a thorough search in yeah. those days and be like, no, yeah, we got nothing. It's just an old cabin. It's like, yeah, it's weird. But um, yeah, yeah, just so many details about it just are so strange, which is why it shows up in so many articles, the story online of like, what the hell happened here? Yeah. 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 Well, Josh, if your spirit can hear us. Let yeah. us know what happened. And just, uh, yeah. So. And also, like, how excited are we for the day when we can put chips in our children and just trap <laughs> them for their whole lives? <laughs> uh, Do you have pictures that go along with this story? Oh, yes, yes. I got so into our discussion. Yes, yeah. I have uh, two. Just The first is this uh, is the cabin where Josh's body was found inside. So, yeah, just this uh, old cabin just a few blocks from where he lived. I do wonder. I mean, I know that you said it wasn't like some desolate, but were there any neighboring cabins? I it's mean, bigger. It looks like it's bigger from what I gathered. You know, you could tell bigger parcels of land. Uh huh. So I wonder if anyone would have actually heard yeah, him screaming. I would, I would think that I, if you could truly scream, I mean, I don't know how the chimney would deaden the noise, mm. but mm -hmm. uh, I would think it could travel two blocks. I would hope, but who knows? Especially in a, especially in a quiet, you know, like the woods like that is generally pretty quiet. Yeah. Um, this next one, uh, what appears to be Josh's school photo not long before it disappeared, okay. and then the interior of the cabin shortly before it was demolished. Oh, Josh. Yeah, just that chimney. Yeah, there's a wreck in that. I know. He, and there was more about him. He seemed like such, not that it, it doesn't matter if he's a great kid or not. No, but it's like, still you know, it's, 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 yeah, it's sad, you know, like either way. But um, yeah, like he'd wear a top hat to school, uh, just a quirky, really smart, loved everybody. Just seemed like a, a really, really great kid. Ah, oh, man. Yeah. That's a tough one. Okay. Uh, do you feel as satisfied as one could be with an unsolvable mystery? I mean, I'm. what's going to be tough now is I really want to like dive into some forums on mm -hmm. people's speculations on this. But There's a lot. There's uh, other angles, you know, I didn't even include. I mean, you could get lost in oh, I'm a sure. lot of speculation. I know what I'll be doing before I go to bed tonight. <laughs> now it is time for us to head out to an infamous statue in Iowa City, Iowa. But first, our mid-show sponsor break. Thank you for listening, Creeps and Peepers. When you support these sponsors, you also support us, and we do appreciate it. Thanks. So a fair amount of history to go over before diving into the paranormal aspects of this uh, story. The Black Angel is a 13-feet-tall macabre monument found in Iowa City, Iowa's Oakland Cemetery. The angel's unique appearance makes it immediately stand out from any and all of the other different angel monuments or headstones found at this cemetery, or almost any cemetery. While typically angelic statues feature faces turned upwards towards heaven, 
This angel looks down at the graves below and shields herself from the heavens with her massive wings. The inscription on the headstone below her reads, Rodino Felde Vertova, which translates in Czech to the Feldevert family. Okay. Beneath the black angel lies the remains of Teresa and Nicholas Feldevert and Teresa's son, Edward Dolezal. Teresia Karasik was born in 1836 in the village of Stremilov in what was once Bohemia, but now is the Czech Republic. At the age of 30, she married a doctor named František Dolezal. Well done. Two years later, their son Otto was born, but he tragically would die at only two weeks old. Teresa, anglicizing her name now, as she herself would later do, would obtain a midwifery certificate in Vienna, then move back to her village and oversee the delivery of about 100 babies. In her late 30s, Teresa had her second child, a boy named Edward. When Edward was four, Teresa took her son and moved to America. The reason she left her first husband behind are unknown. At this time, many people from Bohemia and Slovakia lived in Iowa and worked in agriculture and the railroad industry. Teresa moved into a neighborhood called Goose Town in northern Iowa City, where she continued to work as a midwife. Edward grew up in the small city, later got a job as a, uh, at a pharmacy as a teenager. He dreamt of someday becoming a doctor, but in 1891, fell ill with meningitis and passed away at the age of only 18. Oh, man. Teresa buried her second child in lot number four, block number nine of the Oakland Cemetery, where the black angel now stands. She had a stone sculpture of a cut tree trunk made in her son's honor to symbolize how his life had ended too soon. Teresa would then move around the country over the following years, living in Chicago, Minnesota, where she had another failed marriage, and then eventually Eugene, Oregon. There, she met a third husband, Nicholas Feldevert, a German rancher. Nicholas had experienced his own tragedies in life. Like Teresa, he'd lost a child, his only child, his daughter. Teresa and Nicholas were married for several years until he passed away in 1911. Following his death, Teresa sold his ranch, used the money she received for it generously. She sent money back to her home village in Bohemia for scholarships and public works, and she used a portion of the funds to build a grand monument for her sweet Edward and for Nicholas. Time now for the tale of the Black Angel. She commissioned Joseph Mario Corbel, a Chicago-based artist, to create a bronze angel monument. She wanted the monument to include the stone-cut tree trunk from Edward's original grave, but Coble did not do that, which led to he and Teresa getting into a dispute over the final $5,000 payment. Once the dispute was resolved, the angel was shipped from Chicago to Iowa City on November 21, 1912. The angel was installed soon after it arrived, and Edward and Nicholas were laid to rest beneath it. Teresa then watched as the angel rapidly turned from bronze to black. Bronze can turn a variety of colors due to the process of oxidation, but the speed of the change and the unusual color of the bronze caught the attention of many. It led to rumors amongst the townspeople that the statue might have changed color because of dark forces or a curse. Teresa died in November of 1924 at the age of 88. In a final act of generosity, the proceeds from the sale of the remainder of her estate were sent back to her old village. The legend of the cursed black angel, as it was already being called by the time of her death, has persisted over the past century until the present day. And people have come up with all kinds of stories as to how the angel turned black. Some have said the statue was struck by lightning. Others that Teresa had committed adultery and the statue had exposed her sin. Another theory is that Teresa was an evil woman, perhaps even a witch, and the statue turned black due to her witchcraft. The exact details of the curse vary, but most commonly it's said that anyone who touches the black angel will die within seven years. Yikes. And anyone who kisses the angel will die immediately. Also, if a virgin is ever kissed in front of the angel, it will turn back to its original color. 
But if a girl who is kissed in front of the statue at night, virgin or not, they will be cursed to die within six months. Finally, anyone who tries to vandalize the statue may also suffer the angel's wrath and die a premature death. Today, University of Iowa students are some of the most frequent cemetery visitors, and they also seem to be the main source of keeping urban legends surrounding the Black Angel alive. Many of them have kept a tradition of kissing in front of the angel around for decades. Some students have also been brave enough to touch it. Most don't believe in any of the urban legends that surround the sculpture, but some aren't so sure that the urban legends are just legends. One online commenter wrote that the statue does have an oppressive aura. Another wrote that she saw what looked like an apparition watching her while she was taking photos of the Black Angel. In 2014, a writer named Patrick Lenan shared his experience with the statue with the Iowa City Press Citizen. He said he came to the cemetery with his friend, and when he turned to look at his friend, he saw something out of the corner of his eye. Lenane wrote, I know what I saw. Directly behind him was an old woman, clad in a long black dress. Her hair, a silvery hue, fell into a tangled mess across her face. In the split second I saw her, she stared at me. Her eyes, black as a statue, connected with mine, and she was gone. The following story was posted anonymously by someone uh, else who now believes the Black Angel is more than just a source of made-up legends. This writer believes he is responsible for a death associated with the Black Angel. I've thought about posting this for a long time. I've come to the conclusion that I won't be charged with anything since a curse can't really be used as evidence in court. It happened a long time ago. I was a sophomore at the University of Iowa, and I was in a fraternity, but I won't say which one. It was pledge season when this happened. A lot of the stuff we used to do as pledges, or two pledges, was and is unacceptable. I went through some pretty intense hazing the year before, and it was no different this year. Except this part, this was supposed to be the tame, easy part. Myself and my roommate and friend, Parker, were tasked with overseeing one of the pledge challenges at the Oakland Cemetery. All we had to do was go to the cemetery at night and watch our pledge kiss the Black Angel. Standard stuff. I did the same thing my freshman year. I was a little nervous about the curse, but obviously I didn't take it too seriously because I did it. And I was still here a year later. So the next year, I really didn't believe in it when we showed up at the cemetery. But I pretended I did and helped tell a story about how one in a hundred pledges will die within seven years after they touch the Black Angel and we never know which one it'll be and blah, blah, blah our own variation of the classic curse story. On our scheduled night, my frat brother Parker and I drove out to the cemetery and waited for the pledge in the dark. Carson, the pledge, showed up a few minutes later, seeming apprehensive as he eyed the statue up and down. I was feeling a little nervous myself, which was weird. I hadn't felt that way at all my freshman year. The statue's face was always turned down, but tonight it felt like she was looking up. Not towards the sky, but up directly at us like she was alive and aware that we were there. I didn't say any of this at the time. I probably should have. But I'm not sure it would have made sense in the moment. I don't know that I could have properly conveyed exactly what I thought I was seeing or feeling. Parker started talking first when we made it to the tombstones, shining his flashlight as Carson at Carson as he spoke. Okay, Pledge, you have to kiss the Black Angel. Before you do, we have to warn you that one in 100 Pledges will die within seven years of touching her. Could be you. Could be one of your friends. No one ever knows who the angel will choose. Are you sure you want to go through with this? Carson hesitated before saying, No. Parker did a double take. No? Carson was now staring into the angel's eyes, and I wondered if he could sense what I did. He swallowed nervously, then spoke again. I, I, I don't know if I should. Maybe this is a bad idea. 
I remember thinking, wow, this guy must really be scared. He must really believe in the curse if he's willing to risk ridicule, being a social outcast, maybe not even getting into our frat. Parker laughed. Come on. We've all had to do it. Just get in there and get it over with. Carson was still looking at the statue. His body was tense, his eyes panicky. He took one step towards the statue and froze. I can't, he whispered. Parker Parker continued taunting him. Do you want out? Do you want me to go back and tell everyone you're such a pussy that there's no way we can let you in? Parker, I said, finally interrupting. He doesn't have to do this if he doesn't want to. Carson said nothing. He was starting to weird me out with how he wasn't moving, just standing there, so intensely focused on the statue's eyes. It looked like he was having some sort of silent communication with it. He didn't even seem aware that we were talking about him. Parker now stepped behind Carson, grabbed him by the back of his jacket. How about I make you touch it? He asked. Parker, I tried to warn him against it, but I couldn't stop him. Or I guess maybe I could have, but I didn't. Parker shoved Carson, hard. No, Carson shouted as he fell forward. Instinct forced Carson to throw his hands out to catch himself from slamming face first into the statue. His palms hit the lower part of the angel. Carson's eyes now widened in horror, his mouth opening, and he said nothing. Why did you do that, asshole? I confronted Parker. He just laughed, turning to Carson and said, There, you're welcome. He turned to me. We can go home now. It's a win for everybody. And then Parker started walking back to his truck. I needed to follow him since he was my ride, but I worried about Carson. He was still kind of freaking out. His hands were still planted on the statue. His breathing was rapid. I gently put a hand on his shoulder. Are you good? He jerked away from me, and I saw a look of real terror in his eyes. I didn't know what to do, so I told him, You know the curse isn't real, right? It's just made up to scare people. It's just an urban legend. I said that even though I wasn't sure I totally believed that anymore myself. Now that Parker was gone, the intense energy around the statue had amplified. All I wanted to do was get away from it. Carson still didn't say anything. He just looked pissed, scared, spooked. He looked at me like he was trying to figure out if I'd heard or seen whatever he had. I thought for a moment he was going to share with me whatever that was, but then he just shook his head and started to storm off towards his vehicle. I remember thinking that he was still acting strange, that maybe I should follow him, try to get him to talk, but instead I hustled over to Parker, not wanting to be left alone in the cemetery with that statue. I tried not to think about what happened for the rest of the night, but it was hard. I couldn't stop replaying the way the angel had loomed over us in my mind, how it seemed to have its head tilted up and away from the ground, or the look of fear in Carson's eyes. The next morning, I turned on the news, and I almost dropped my plate of breakfast when I saw Carson's face on the screen. The night before, about two hours after we all left the cemetery, Carson was out driving on the highway when a drunk driver crossed into his lane, smashed into him head on. They were driving close to 90 miles an hour. Both drivers died at the scene. I called Parker into the room, watched the color drain from his face. We shared a look. He knew what I was thinking, that we were somehow responsible for Carson's death. I hadn't pushed him into that statue myself, but I was there. I knew it was a bad idea, and I didn't stop Parker. Was the curse real? I didn't think it was, but I had felt that statue looking at me like it was alive. We tried to keep all this quiet to outsiders, but what happened was the talk of the whole fraternity for weeks. The curse had claimed another victim within just a few hours of them touching the black angel. Parker and I agreed to never tell anyone that he had pushed Carson into that statue. We didn't know if we could be held responsible in any way for Carson's death. I doubted it, but I didn't want to risk finding out. We'd at least be held somewhat responsible by his family and some of the other students. I was certain of that. Over the years, the guilt from what we did started to eat at me more and more. I feel like I should have done something to stop Parker. I should have stood up for Carson, told him he could leave, but I didn't. 
Carson would have been the victim of, yes, yeah, some pretty intense ridicule, but that was a lot better than being dead. I finally decided that I had to tell someone what happened, even if it just meant me posting this here anonymously. I don't know how many people will read this, but I'm guessing that most of those who do will probably judge me. I get it. It's at least partially my fault that Carson died that night. Curse? Ghost? Demon? I don't know what's going on with that statue, but I am convinced there's something very wrong with it and that whatever it is, it killed Carson. I don't really believe in curses. Yeah, I don't know if, uh, I, I mean, I mean, I will say out of all the things we explore here. Yeah. It seems like the least likely, but I, I don't know. I don't know. But I mean, uh, but I, okay, we've talked about so random what we choose to believe in. <laughs> I know, choose not to believe. I know what we filter. But I, but like, okay, like attachments. What if something is attached to the statue and that thing can lash out sometimes? Yeah. Like a, like a possessed object. Yeah, there's that. And haunted I, doll, haunted statue. I know. I just, I just have a really hard time accepting like, if you touch this, you're going to die. Right, right. That's, well, and he even says like, you know, they have pledges, touch it year in and year out. Right. Almost never, nobody ever dies. Right. So, mm, yeah. I don't know. I don't know. It just, uh, but then actually I was thinking about, there was some house in Italy that mm-hmm. you told a story about uh, where it's like, Everybody who's lived there dies. Oh, yeah. That was a long time ago. I can't remember the name yeah. of the house, but I remember the story. And it was like an uncanny amount of people. Right. And that didn't bother me. And I yeah. I guess you could think of that as like a curse, you know, a, a yeah. cursed place, a cursed. And if you go there, then, you know. What I liked about this story is that clearly most people don't believe in this. The yeah. story varies wildly. It's all over the place with like all the supposed rules. Mm-hmm. You know, the lady who had the statue commission doesn't seem like a bad person. It seems like a really good person. Like there's all these things, but it just makes me think like, okay, if there is something there, maybe maybe people are making up these legends. Mm-hmm. And embellishing and adding a bunch of details, but maybe all of that is based in some nugget of fear from them, where there's something about this, a feeling, an energy, maybe sight, seeing things around it that actually does scare the hell out of them. I mean, Carson did seem genuinely scared. Right, right. And then why was he driving two hours later? Like Something about that was like unsettling Mm. where I'm like, well, if you're going back to campus— Theoretically, yeah, because like yeah. you're pledging. So, you know, you probably live on right. campus, whatever. Then I was like, okay, like, what were you doing? Were He's you trying rattled. to- rattled. Like, He's in his head. Exactly. And then like, is that, I don't know. Is that part of the curse where it like distracts you and it makes you feel out of body and then it- And it could all be power of suggestion. True. You, maybe he was just more prone to being scared of like horror movies and the paranormal. Yeah. And, and he got worked up and spooked himself. Yeah. And thought he saw something. And then yeah. that got in his head. And then he was going for a drive to try and clear his head. Maybe. And it was just a random accident. Ah. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. How do you guys feel about curses? I just, I don't know. I don't know. Uh, I have a few pictures. This thing is weird looking. Okay. So I have four actually, oh, just different by angles. The, by the way, for one second, I was like, is this lady a good lady or... Is she going around killing people? Oh, because, yeah, I think just a lot of people died back then. I know. Um, okay, so this uh, this first one here is the Black Angel statue. Uh, just a shot of showing kind of like how the wing, it's, it is very, it's very ominous looking. Massive wings and just pointed down. And I'll show some more different angles and close-ups. This next one, another shot. Yeah, because that, that angle doesn't bother me. I'll show you the face at the end. But okay. another shot here, uh, zoomed out, so you can see how it looks compared to the rest of the headstones around it. It, it stands out. And, and next to it is that um, tree trunk stone statue. Okay. But to me, mm-hmm. 
Okay, I know that you grew up in a small town with a small cemetery. And this is more like a Catholic cemetery. Right, and it's like in the cemetery that I grew up going to, there are two, yeah. one in particular. And it's like, it was huge. I mean, acres upon acres yeah, upon yeah, yeah. acres, right? And in like every sort of like section, there would always be like this like random, it's like, Okay, that person decided to invest a lot of money. Yeah, yeah. So th this doesn't feel like I know it looks out of place, mm -hmm. but like I bet if you looked at the entirety of the cemetery, there would be There's other oh, yeah. like rando statues. Totally. Uh, this next one, another angle, just uh, to get a different feel for the, how this thing looks. And then, I mean, in the shadows there, I mean, it does, it does look like foreboding. And then, um, to I me, just I need to see its face. Okay, because I don't, one, I don't feel face. spooked by it. Here's its at face. All. That's, that'd be creepy for me to see at night. I wouldn't like it. It doesn't look like she's looking down. It looks like she's looking up. I thought the whole thing was that she looks down. Instead she of is. Looking... It just must be the angle here, but she is looking down at the gra at a gravestone beneath her. Hmm. Because to me, what I feel when I look at it is that like her wings are expanded and she's like protecting what's beneath her. And that probably was the intention. That's, uh, that's what I walk away with. To me, it looks like something out of a horror movie. Well, it's just old and... yeah. I don't know. This story didn't bother me. Okay. Okay. It spooked me a little bit. Okay. But I, but I like that. Everything hits everybody different. Yeah. And well, I was going to say, yeah, I appreciate that too. Cause it's like, you know, mm -hmm. what there are the classics, like the haunted house, mirrors, yeah. doppelgangers. We all have like sort of like a, a commonality amongst us that we're like, yeah. all right, all those things kind of get us. But then when you get into the more peripheral things, I think we pick and choose what bothers us. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, those were fun. I mean, I love a good story no matter what. Sure. So. Sure. But I, I just, Curses I just have a hard time with. It feels mm -hmm. very piratey. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. I get you. Yeah. How are you doing over there? I'm good. Oh, Blue Layla? Blue Layla. Grab Blue Layla for today. Okay. Is Crochetla still? Yeah, she's hanging out here on top of this baby boffman. Okay. Oh, they're like a... <laughs> mm -hmm. They're like a totem pole. She's dominating him. Can I ask a random question about yeah. this last? Yeah. Kind of, kind of how you talk about um, different things hit people differently. Mm -hmm. Do you, Lindsay, do you think because you grew up kind of in a Catholic environment with statues mm. and with all the like ceremony that that kind of desensitized you to a lot of that style of uh, spirituality? Actually, yes. I think that's a really valid question because immediately when you said Catholic church, I just like flashed on the church that I grew up going to. Yeah. So for anybody in Parma, St. John Bosco, but like the... At some point, they even like remodeled the church. And I remember, so when you would be sitting in the pews and you would look at the altar, like this huge, heavy stone altar marble, you know, and with relics in it yeah. and the whole thing. And then on either side, recessed in these like beautiful like carve outs, there's a giant statue of Mother Mary and then another giant statue of, I think it was of Joseph or maybe like our patron saint. But I mean, and then just like all over our church like the stations of the cross were very yeah. realistic and they were statuesque I, I think that's a really valid point that tyler brings up because there's so much statue and then like mm -hmm. oh my gosh we had this like um like prayer room i'm not entirely sure what to call it because it was outside uh, anyways but it had a statue and yeah statues were actually a huge part of my upbringing <laughs> maybe that's creepy to me and I don't, I don't know about um tyler growing up in a bigger area like louisville how to be different but i but i know uh you know, Tyler grew up, I almost called him Kyler, like our son, but uh, Tyler grew up. Hey, people uh, do make that mistake with our son all the time. He <laughs> really appreciates it. Uh, Tyler, like, you know, Protestant where it's like, you know, Protestant churches, um, they don't, it's like a dollar tree. They don't have like the statues. It's not mm -hmm. a thing. So, and, and for me, those are the kind of, when I would go to church, those are the churches I was around until ah. like college and my exposure to those kind of statues, 99% yeah. was horror movies. 
And like the cemetery in Riggins is just headstones. There's no mausoleums. There's no statues. And the first time I went to a, a cemetery, and actually recently even, when I went to that uh, forest lawn in, um, in Buffalo, uh-huh. and all the stat- statues kind of like that in mausoleums, I'm like, this place is creepy as shit. Interesting. I love cemeteries. My dad and I have loved cemeteries yeah. forever. And like, if we would be somewhere, we'd be like, okay, let's see if we can find the oldest grave. You know, just like- I so- like that too. Right, but- but I'd rather be in the Riggins Cemetery than in the Buffalo Cemetery if I had to stay overnight. I, you know, it's like one's way scarier than the other to me because of all the statues. Yeah, I mean, here in the kind of light of day, because now we're in daylight saving, so it's like not there's no daylight left. But but in this like moment, I'm like, ah, yeah. it doesn't matter to me one or the other. It's all the same. But thinking about it like at night and the fact that giant statues would cast giant shadows and yeah. mess with my my vision, then yeah. yes, I. I see that. Okay. Oh, but that is such a fascinating thing to think about. Like, what scares us has so much mm-hmm. to do with, you know, our own experiences in life. Yeah. Great question, Tyler. Ty- Tyler Thank you. Did that statue creep you out, or are you like whatever? Oh, it definitely creeps me out. Yeah. Like, statues, growing up, like as a non-denominational Christian kid, like we want, yeah. like you said, not around statues. And mm-hmm. So when I see them, it definitely freaks me out. Uh, Tyler, you should look. Um, there's photos. Oh my, we haven't done one in a while here, but it's like I cannot think of the the specific names. But in Latin America, there's a lot of, they call it syncretic religions where, uh-huh. where it'll be a heavily Catholic influence because of the Spanish. Spanish colonize these areas and they bring Catholicism, but then there's the local indigenous like Aztec religions. And because of the transatlantic slave trade, there was like these West African religions and they couldn't practice them openly, mm-hmm. but they wove them into Catholicism and they turned their gods, kind of mixed them with like the Catholic saints. Mm-hmm. And it became all uh, kind of like voodoo dolls, but also yeah. all these little statues and stuff. Like when we were in Oxnard. Like Santeria, right? Yeah, I don't. I, Ish. No, it's like it, it, it is Catholic. It, it's a type of Catholicism, but it's way more mystical. Um, and like we went to that store in Oxnard, which that, was like a Catholic supply store. But they had they didn't just have like Mother Mary. I thought they that had was like a skeletons. Huh. Oh. It was like it's technically Catholic, but they had like these skeleton dudes and like all these different kinds of saints that are not part of like maybe not canonized the same way. Mm. They're like folk saints. Oh, I wish I could think of the name, but like it's straight up like horror movie shit if you're not like raised in that. Huh. Mm-hmm. Well, we can we can do some Googling. I love it. I love it like artistically. Yeah. I'm like, ooh, this is like a cool spooky vibe. How do you feel when we're in New Orleans and we go to a cemetery there? It's creepy. Huh. I mean, I like it, but it's uh, definitely like very strong horror movie vibes. But not like a, do you ever feel like an energy shift? Do you feel something with you? Do no, you... but if I walked around at night, I would get we- weirded out. But that's different. That's just like, I'm scared because it's the dark and I'm in a cemetery. But I'd be more scared in that cemetery than in like little old Riggin Cemetery, which is t- headstones. Yeah. I don't bother me. Yeah, the New Orleans cemeteries, I mean, they're so interesting. I, they... I'd be waiting for something to walk out of one of those crypts. Oh, Okay. Well, I don't, I don't have those concerns. Hmm. I guess I'm, I don't know. We had a lot of death in my family. I spent a lot of time in cemeteries and funeral homes. So they just are like so commonplace to me at this point. I'm mm. like, yeah, huh, whatever. Mm. I don't know. I, I think I have like a more, I, I have a different relationship with death than you do. You do. I'm, I'm here for it. Let's go. Oh boy. That's a weird thing to say. <laughs> I know. I, just, I, was just, I was just kidding. It's like, you know, I'm going to be 40 I, I, soon. I'm probably like, that's it. It's over for me. I'm just making my peace with it now. Are you ready to hear about this strange, maybe haunted hot tub, but also maybe like a p- possessed object? This is such, <laughs> this is such a weird story. Okay. Uh, okay. <laughs> haunted hot tub. All right. It's like a hot tub time machine, but very different. <gasps> I love that movie. <laughs> All right. Here we go. Okay. Hello, Dan and Lindsay. Hello. 
My name is Melody, and I'm Native American, and I've always been told that I and my family are more in tune with our spiritual side due to the practices and ceremonies that we partake in as part of our Native American culture. I've always put up a bit of a wall, though, because I don't want to see any apparitions. I do still hear and feel them, though, and occasionally I've seen them despite not wanting to. I just don't want to see them, like, fully. Uh, I can't make out their characteristics like much of my family is able to do, and I'm good with that. My childhood home was extremely haunted. There were numerous apparitions living with us, and we named them all. There was the little man under the stairs, the tall shadow, the fisherman in the bedroom, the little girl who liked dogs, the weeping woman in a wedding dress in the backyard, and so on. You get the picture. My family tried to catch proof of them all of the time with voice recordings and pictures, and they even tried using a Ouija board once, but they'd never had any luck. One cold night in December when I was about 15, my aunt Sabrina and I had the great idea to enjoy a long, relaxing night in the hot tub in our backyard. We were the only ones home, and we figured, why not? So we got in the hot tub at about midnight and spent the night pointing out the stars, watching the moon, and listening to music on Pandora. Mm -hmm. Throughout the night, we both felt something touching us in the water. We would say something along the lines of, stop touching me. And both of us would reply, I'm not touching you. And so we would just play it off and didn't give it much attention. At about 1 a.m., we noticed the blinds moving in the kitchen and just assumed it was my uncle, Sabrina's brother, messing with us or maybe even just checking to see where we were. We didn't actually see him, so we just assumed he had popped them open, took a quick look, and then went about his night. But it turns out that he never actually came home that night. So who was in the kitchen? Then 3 a.m. hits, and Sabrina and I begin seeing things in the backyard. We were facing different ends of the yard. I was facing our fence where I saw a shadow walk along the fence line. I decided not to say anything and pretended it just didn't happen. Sabrina, on the other hand, saw an orb fly into a tree in the corner of the backyard and then shortly thereafter watched a shadow drop down from the tree and run towards us and the shadow ran straight into the sliding glass door and disappeared. After that, we didn't see much more activity, but we continued hearing things here and there. And at about 4.45, they were dedicated to this night in the hot tub. (laughs) At about 4.45, we decided we should probably get out, shower, and get to bed. After some debating of whether or not it was time to get out, something very creepy happened. The music we were listening to started to glitch. Every song we had heard that night began mashing together. And then a woman began talking over top of the music, saying something we couldn't understand. Being freaked out, I yelled at Sabrina to turn it off. She hopped out of the hot tub to get her phone and turn the music off, but the app wouldn't close off. She turned off her phone, but still nothing. It was still going. She even took the battery out, and yet, it continued to play. Eventually, she picked up her phone and threw it in the hot tub. (laughs) We ran into the house and headed (laughs) straight to the shower, not saying a single word to one another. We were so freaked out that while either of us was showering, the other one sat in the bathroom to keep watch. Once we finished showering, we went downstairs and out to the backyard. It was daylight now. And the phone was perfectly intact, playing Pandora, put back together, sitting on the table outside. Sabrina picked up the phone, looked it over, looked at me, and walked back into the house. And that was that. Melody. That's insane. That's so fucking weird. (laughs) That is so weird. Probably a possessed phone. I just thought the idea of a haunted hot tub was hilarious. That was making me um, uh, think before the phone was recovered at the end. Uh Uh-huh. 
I was just picturing like, because uh, I'm assuming they were un- underage, like like uh, for some reason I had them pe- pegged as kids, like teens or something. I don't know. And then I was picturing like being Sabrina's parent and uh-huh. be like, uh, I'm sorry, why why did you throw your phone in the hot tub? Oh my God. We find out that the reason like Kyler's phone <laughs> landed on the floor of the shower is not because he's an idiot trying to listen to music in the shower, but because it was possessed. Right, right. Uh... And, th- and then I had other thoughts about like, okay, two two ways, one good, one bad, um, associated with the hot tub. If we are going to have a, an entity associated yeah. with our hot tub, I definitely want it to be a succubus. Of course you do. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's got to be some sex demon who's just like, you know, you get the bubbles on your back and then maybe some extra stuff. Hey, hey, hey. You know, just with the succubus. Hey, hey. What? what? I'm sitting right here. It's not, it doesn't count if it's a succubus. <laughs> That's a new tactic. Oh my God. Man cheats on wife and then is like, I, I just... She's I, a succubus. I just, I didn't even think she was real. I didn't think she was a real person. Oh my and then, God. <laughs> and then, and then the other thought I had was like, okay, not sexy, just like scary. Like, okay. It makes me think of like, um, horror stories when, uh, you go downstairs and in the chair in the corner, there's the apparition of an old man and he looks angry and just like, just fills you with terror. Mm-hmm. And it's like, but that's for some reason, maybe he died there. Like that's his spot in the house. Yeah. I would be so pissed. If of all the places on our property, <laughs> something occupied the hot tub, I'm like, I, that is my place to relax, let my muscles kind of like, um, you know, loosen up and stuff. And I'm like, fucking anywhere else to, to haunt anywhere else. Pick but somewhere else. Pick, pick, please pick, don't pick my hot tub. Pick the bathroom. Yeah. Haunt the kids rooms. What about our bedroom know. though? That is also our Ooh. place. Now you've. Now Second. I've, okay. It, it's close. Do I want them to be haunting our room like, do or you, our do hot you, tub? Do you want something to visit us? Well, I guess we. Do you want something to visit us like while we're having sex in our bedroom? Or do you want to be visited mm. by something when you're by yourself? I mean, I guess if it's a succubus, they, you're like, hell yeah, I'll bring it on in the hot tub. Right. They both. Because apparently <laughs> you've got a thing for them. But <laughs> Both terrible. Okay. Maybe second worst is hot okay. tub. Fall, maybe bedroom is first worst. And then first worst. First worst. I don't think that's. That's, not, that's not proper. That's <laughs> what do you think is first worst? Um, yeah. I don't know, bedroom, then hot tub. Okay, now let's talk about this phone situation. That they oh, that's have. ridiculous. I mean- to Have the phone, to have both of them think that, that they, okay, both of them saw it go into the hot tub and then both of them go back out and it's put back together. That would make me want to smash the phone all over again. That Okay, that is what I thought. I was like, and how does Aunt Sabrina just like pick it up? She's like, okay, cool. And just goes inside and it's like, no big deal. Oh, wait, Aunt Sabrina? I missed yeah. the aunt. I heard, I knew Sabrina, but I didn't catch aunt. Oh, okay. Okay. Oh yeah. I wonder, I, but that's why I gave you that like weird look when you said that like, well, they must've been teenagers. I mean, well, at the beginning, Melody does say that she was about 15, but she was spending that, you know, she was- With her aunt. Yeah. I missed, yeah. I, I missed the aunt part and just thought it was her. F- okay. Got it. Got but it, also got it. like, I mean, the way that, you know, it sounds like a multi-generational living mm-hmm, situation. Mm-hmm. So it's like, you know, yeah. people do have young aunts and uncles all the time based on like- I think it's funny when somebody has an aunt or uncle younger than them. Oh yeah. Yeah, it cracks me up. Oh, it kills me. Monroe went to school in grade school with yeah. this kid where it was like the kid's grandma. Yeah. It was like like the mom and the daughter had kids simultaneously. And it was like so weird. I yeah. could never keep it straight. I was like, wait, wait who's the grandma? Who's the mom? Who's the kids? Wait, what? Right, right. But just like the way that things pan out sometimes. Yep, yep exactly. I know. Uh, that was uh, that was good. Yeah, it's weird. Mm-hmm. It's, it's just super weird. so weird. Yeah, but yeah, but I'm with you. It's like smash that phone. To smithereens. Uh-huh. Mm, can't use that phone after that. Not after no. an experience like that. No, but apparently, I don't know. I guess, I whatever. Want- but other people are more comfortable with these things. It's like, mm-hmm. I guess good for you. But also, okay, what about this? What if like they should smash it because by not smashing it, they're just like carrying this spirit around now. And even though 
like on Sabrina's like, I don't care. It's like, yeah, but the rest of us care. Like, do us a favor. Mm -hmm. When you don't like get rid of something like that, are you then putting other people at risk or danger of the spirit? Maybe it doesn't bother you. You don't feel it. You don't see it. Uh, It just, whatever, you have a different approach. Maybe it was a nice, maybe Sabrina liked the touch that she got in the hot tub. Oh, okay. They didn't say like how, what the touch was. Like, was it like an aggressive poke? Was it creepy? Or was it like a nice thigh rub? Okay. I'll take a thigh rub. Yeah. Maybe Sabrina will take a thigh rub as well. I'll take an incubus. Okay. All right. Fine. If you get a succubus, I get an incubus. We can sit at different corners of the hot tub. (laughs) (laughs) That is so disturbing. (laughs) You could have the incubus corner. And and, and and that way I could be like, whoa, whoa, no, you don't want to sit there. Like certain people like, you know, that's the incubus corner. Like we have, this is the succubus <laughs> corner. This is the incubus corner. This is the like, you don't get touch corner. We don't. Okay. Yeah. Now Monroe's our only child at home. And <laughs> yeah. I don't know if she knows truly what an incubus <laughs> or a succubus is. But once the hot tub is fixed, uh, the next time we go in there with her, I want you to like say something to her. Okay. Like, hey, dad, not that that's, corner. No, that's the incubus corner. She's gonna be like, what? She probably knows the band and will be so confused. <laughs> I know. I know. Uh, uh, okay. Are you ready for a classic haunted house? Yes. And this is great. Hello, Dan and Lindsay. I'm going to give some background just to give myself a little bit of credibility here. I'm a registered nurse with a master's degree, and I'm currently in the final few months of obtaining my doctorate. Because of previous experiences, though, as a child, I do believe in the supernatural. However, I approach this with skepticism, and I appreciate alternative explanations or debunking. My husband is a disabled veteran who served two tours in Iraq. The first tour was before we met, and the second was one year after we were married. When we were first married, I moved myself and our three-year-old daughter to a home he bought in a town surrounding his duty station. We had searched for homes together but could not agree on anything, so finally I told him to just pick whatever he wanted and to buy it, and we would move out there. And that's what he did. That first year came with so many changes. I became pregnant with our second daughter, and I knew that my husband would deploy around the time she was due. I was not acclimating well to the army lifestyle. I did not have any friends and I was far away from my family. My husband deployed when our newborn was three weeks old. I found myself alone with a newborn and our four-year-old and no support system. We struggled financially because I was unable to find a nursing job that would accommodate my responsibility to my children. It's hard to work a 12-hour shift or be on call when traditional childcare is geared towards the normal eight to five. During his deployment, weird things would happen on occasion, but nothing remarkable. For example, my interior garage door opened in the middle of the night and set off the alarm. I concluded that the wind must have blown against the exterior garage door and caused a pressure change that caused the door to fly open. My husband returned from his deployment a completely different person, but that's not my story to tell. I eventually found a job working weekends so that I could be with our kids during the week and my husband could be with them on the weekends while I worked. I would take off work on weekends that he had duty or other obligations. With our new income, I decided it was time to remodel our home. And of course, this is where it all began. Or maybe it began when he came home and we just didn't notice yet. Our oldest was six at this time and our youngest two. We had so much to tackle and we decided to complete most of the work ourselves. Things started off easy to explain away. Objects would get misplaced and eventually reappear in places where I'd already looked. My oldest daughter often talked about the little boy in her closet. She even drew a picture of him and put it on her closet wall. What an imagination my little artist had, I thought. Another time, my two-year-old stuffed animal flew from the foot of her bed and hit me in the face while we were sleeping. Obviously, my husband had been playing a prank on me, (laughs) even though he denied it. I did make the occasional joke that those stuffed animals we'd bought off eBay came to us haunted. Our youngest daughter was into Rugrats, and eBay was the only place you could find the character toys. 
At this point, we were making jokes about our house being haunted, but we weren't taking it seriously until the big event. Now, this might not seem big to you, but it scared me and motivated me to seek help. My husband and children were in bed sleeping one night. It was early, so I decided to have a little me time and watch some TV by myself. Let me set the scene. Our living room had a couch, a love seat, and one of those big oversized swivel chairs. And like many busy families, my swivel chair was used as the laundry chair. As I was watching TV, a shirt flew across the room and hit me in the face. I jumped up and I went to our bedroom to wake up my husband. Of course, he didn't believe me, but he did stay awake with me for most of the night afterwards. The next time I went to work, I told my coworkers that I thought my house was haunted. One of them actually believed me and connected me with one of her friends. I cannot remember what verbiage the friend used to describe her skill set. She didn't use the words psychic or clairvoyant, but that is how I would describe her. I spoke with her on the phone and arranged a time for her and one of her gifted acquaintances to come to our house. In the meantime, things were still happening. My schnauzers started waking up in the middle of the night to bark at the foot of the bed where nothing was ever there. I once woke up to see the torso of a shadow figure hovering over top of my husband. And I know what you're thinking. Get the fuck out, right? But it just wasn't that simple. We were still slowly remodeling our house and we were not financially stable enough to move. Finally, the two women came to my house. One carried a blue glass bottle and sprayed the contents in the corners of every room. We were told that the limestone surrounding our house had created a large amount of energy that attracted roaming spirits. They would come in and out of our home. The little boy in the closet was one of those roaming spirits, but he had decided to stay. We were also told that one of the previous owners was a very mean and violent man who left negative energy. The focus of that energy was in the room my husband utilized as his man cave. However, there was also a negative presence that they could not figure out. They were not sure where this entity came from. Several scenarios were discussed. It could be demonic. It could be something that came home with my husband from Iraq. Whatever the entity was, it seemed to be attracted to my husband. These women did tell me that I was surrounded by the presence of the Archangel Michael and that there was also a Native American man by my side who was an ancestor of mine. And my deceased father, he was also with me. I was surrounded by light and safety. Although I'm skeptical of this, uh, although I am skeptical of this type of belief, I told them that it totally checked out because I have had many close calls in my life. They ended the visit by burning sage in the house and instructing me how to perform a cleansing ritual. I was also given the little blue bottle to continue to spray in the corners of my home each and every day. These women never charged me, and they stayed available to answer my questions day or night. I felt at peace, but strange things still continued to happen. At night, I would wake up and check on my daughters. Sometimes there would be a thick mist that would dissipate as I would walk through it. This mist always gave me anxiety. One day, my youngest told me that there was a man in her bathroom. This was during the day and my husband was at work. I knew that we probably did not have an intruder, but I did not want to be dismissive. I held her hand and asked her to show me. She took me to the bathroom, but of course, there was nothing there. I asked her, where is the man? She stated, behind you. I turned around, but there was nothing there. I asked her what the man looked like, and she simply said he was just all black. I told her that she should leave the man alone, and we left the bathroom to continue our day. Surely this would make many people get the fuck out, <laughs> but we still didn't feel financially stable enough to do it. It was such a stressful situation. My husband did not want to admit to having any paranormal experiences. He always said that if he admitted to it, he would have to leave our home for good. My husband is definitely not a Darren. However, he did have a few experiences of his own. 
he used to see a shadow person dart from his man cave across the hall to the bathroom. But his most extreme experience involved both of us. I was still working 12-hour shifts on the weekends. I would come home each night and tell my husband about my day and then take a shower. My house was a 45-minute drive from work. One evening, I pulled into the garage and my husband frantically ran out to the garage yelling at me, did you just leave and come back? I was so confused. I told him that I had just gotten home. I'd had a long day and I simply wanted to be with my family. He then proceeded to tell me that him and I had just had a conversation. I had come home from work like I always did and I told him about my day and then I went to take a shower. This was impossible. There was (laughs) no way I could have left work from the end of my shift and arrived any earlier than I just had. He was so scared and wanted to immediately leave the house without taking time to gather our belongings. I had to work hard to calm him down, to talk him out of abandoning ship. He would have left that day and never looked back had I agreed. On a day after these events, we were hanging out at our close friend's house discussing our haunted house. My husband told him the story of my doppelganger. Our friends are Muslim and told us that we probably had a jinn in our home. They explained that jinns were created by God, as were humans, but jinns were forged from fire. And that was the explanation for the shadow or smoky appearances that I often saw. They can be either good or bad or neutral jinns. The husband felt like our jinn was simply mischievous and meant us no harm. They gave us a beautiful totem that had a prayer carved in it in Arabic, and we were instructed to place it on our mantle. And we did exactly that, and all the activity ceased. We ended up living in that home for another six years. We have since moved twice, and unfortunately, our little totem did not make it with us. I am sure, I'm not sure where it went, but I will always be grateful for the peace it gave us. Stay spoopy, Kim. Thanks, Kim. Yeah, very interesting that that totem, after, you know, a lot of intense activity that seemed to be escalating. Yeah. That it just all just ceased. And like what I loved about that is that like so often we jump to like, okay, get the house blessed by a priest. Um, Have, you know, an energy healer come in. Uh, Do you have somebody Native American who's willing to come and perform a sage cleansing? Mm -hmm. Can you do a smoke cleansing yourself? Crystals. It is. And and we're always like, it's a, it's a, it's a ghost. It's a spirit. It's a, it's, it's, no one ever comes to the conclusion that it's a gin. That it's just like a mischievous gin just fucking with you. What I think is that these things are the same. Uh, all Fair over, enough. All around the world, it's the same thing. All the thing. same, different it's, names. It's all the same thing. But like what I love is that every cultures, whether it's religion or whether it's like it's folklore, uh-huh. you know, it's history, it has evil entities. Sure. And and they tend to look similar, if not the same, you know, dark, smoky, uh, mischievous, malevolent, all these things. And then also every culture, whether it's sage for, you know, various like American Indian tribes, Native American tribes, or, you know, it's a, a, the Catholic ritual or there's the, you know, the, the Protestant, you know, version or the uh, Islamic, you know, Muslim version. And I don't know enough about, you know, Taoism uh, and Hinduism and Buddhism to understand like what cleansing rituals, but I would bet my life there are versions of those things within sure. those religions. Sure. And so it's like, we're all seeing the same thing, I think, but interpreting it through the lens of our culture. I would agree with that. But then my question would Mm be, why then, if they are essentially all the same, it's all the same thing, just with different names, different like colloquialisms, if you will, why did the totem, the Muslim totem with the Arabic Mm -hmm. prayer get rid of it, but the women coming in and doing a sage cleansing didn't? So to me, what Mm -hmm. it tells me is that like, while all... My opinion would be that while all cultures have their own versions of these things, yeah. 
what if you have to identify which religion or uh, culture it belongs to, and then you have to use that one to get rid of it? Like, if do you get what I'm saying? Oh, I do, I do. I, I was thinking that maybe the power of the intention, though, too. I was just thinking mm, of all the stories mm. where first exorcism doesn't work, second exorcism doesn't work, third exorcism does work. Yeah, that's you know, fair. Like, there's those kind of things too. Uh, and with all these rituals, maybe there is something to like the, I don't know. My, my brain goes to poltergeist activity too, how it's connected mm -hmm, to mm -hmm. teens and, te mm -hmm. and and like emotional teens, upset teens. Is there some kind of energy we're able to emit and, and we push that energy into the ritual of our culture, of our religion, mm -hmm. but it's really the intention that is more important than the words or whether it's a cross or some, uh, you know, Muslim totem, you know, is that less impor important than the intention behind the act? I don't know. Yeah, I, I guess like my counter to that would be is that I gather Kim doesn't say anything about her religious beliefs, but my mm -hmm. my guess is that she is not religious. Mm -hmm. And and I simply say that because like her go-to was to seek out energy healers yeah, as opposed yeah. to like going to a, a Catholic church. Right. Okay. So um, if, oh shoot, I just lost... I love it when your brain just like, <laughs> and I'm done with that thought. I'm like, that's yeah. rude. Um, wow, what were you saying? <laughs> My brain just completely shut off. I, I don't know. I, I was just paying attention to where you were going know, with but, your rebuttal. No, but what were you just saying? You said, oh, oh, the intent behind it. Yes. So for her, it's like, I don't think that she was more invested in one than the other. Mm. As opposed to the people who gave it to her, yeah. maybe their intentions were stronger yeah, I mean, or more maybe, important. Maybe they brought more energy to it or something. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's because uh, one our, of life's great mysteries. In our culture, we're so familiar with like, you know, crosses, like, okay, in an exorcism situation, there's a demonic entity. The crosses are turned upside down uh, on the walls. Mm -hmm. uh, the person who is possessed is resistant to scripture, seems mm -hmm. pained by holy screams water. Screams out in Latin. Mm -hmm, screams out in Latin. What if uh, somebody approached that same person? Okay, what if someone from a totally different faith, uh, you know, a, a Muslim or something like they're possessed by something, mm -hmm. would they react then to the cues of their religion? Like, is it mm -hmm. like, does the yeah, entity does the entity just not want you to have faith in whatever that is? Or like I, any I faith will work. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe that's why in this situation, the Muslim totem works, mm -hmm. but the uh, whatever like was in the spray bottle didn't work. Yeah. I don't know. It's like, I was going to say that, like a, a religion, but like that is their religion. So mm -hmm. that's inaccurate. I don't know. Yeah. yeah. I don't know. But I guess that's part of like what makes this all so interesting. I think like that's the piece about the paranormal. Like obviously I don't love being scared, mm -hmm. but I, I love like this part of it of like, yeah. you know, the different religions, the different ways that we as humans protect ourselves, protect our families. How do we cure things in mm -hmm. our lives? How do we find solution and resolve and peace? And like, I'm very into the energy of it all. And like, yeah. to me at the end of the day, I think if you're coming with good intentions, like I would hope that that would be enough to like move the energy to yeah. get it to move on. The stuff that excites me about all this, you know, the, the, the base outside of just liking a good scare uh -huh. and, and a good story. Uh-huh is just what it represents as far as the unknown. In the, in the same way, like, like I would be as excited. I know you, what, you want to I, share I thought, I thought you were going to make like a ridiculous no. comment. I thought you'd be like, what I really am into is succubuses. <laughs> Take it back to succubuses. No, but, but just in, like, I would be excited to see some spirit clearly, like, and I'd want to see it with another person, you know, okay, walks into the room. Uh -huh. At first I'm like, oh my God, am I having some kind of like stroke or yeah. something like is something going on? But then I turn to the other person and then they ideally share with me 
what I've just seen. Yeah. So I'm like, okay, that was something mm -hmm. for sure. Mm -hmm. uh, that would be cool to me in the same way it would be cool to see someone shoot a fireball out of their hands. Oh, wow. Or to teleport from one space to another or to levitate above the ground and not in some magician way. Yeah. Where it's like, oh, you just did something that science can't explain. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Like you just did something that's supposed to be impossible that we can't replicate in a laboratory yet or whatever. And, and what I think is cool about that is then, as I've said before here, all bets are off, not just for like the horror space, but for everything. Yeah. You yeah. know, it's like, it's like, well, then what else is actually real that people for, you know, thousands of years have been like, nah, there's no way that's real. Okay. But that's where like my belief in crystals and energy healing, it's like, yeah, you can't I, prove to me I that can't it, prove it's not real. Right. Real. Yeah. A and I would implore you in mm -hmm. this, you know, you were taking this time next year to really yeah. like rest and recuperate and all these yeah. things. I'm like, you should have a Reiki session. I genuinely believe that you would be blown away by like hmm. what happens when someone is not even touching you. Yeah, when you I'm are curious. lying on a table with uh -huh. your eyes closed and you feel a burning in your belly button mm -hmm. gut root chakra. That's when I pop up from the table and fucking choke slam him. Get off me devil. <laughs> Witchcraft. <laughs> uh, I was waiting for like a ooh yeah. <laughs> That would freak me out, though, if someone's not touching me physically it's, and I'm feeling some weird stuff. It's not freaky. It's just, it's like, it's just this weird sensation. And I don't know. I just think, I don't know that it can be put into words. I am exhausted in this moment, so I cannot articulate it well. I, I've heard more people than you. I've heard other people talk about how it is very strange and how you feel all these crazy sensations and like no one's touching you. Yep. I'm curious. I, I'll do it. I'm at, at, at the very least out of just curiosity. Okay. All right. You heard it here. I think next year, mm -hmm. let's find a local energy healer. Easy demon. Who is willing to perform Reiki on both of us okay. and also willing to let us uh, film it. Maybe we can like- oh you know, not have their face in it, but just mm -hmm. like, because I think there's also like that element. I think that our fans would be really interested to see like, okay, what does this look like? Like okay. for all of our skeptics out there, not all yeah. energy healers are going to be into this. So it might, it might not work, but I'm going to work to make this happen. All right. Okay. I like it. You write it down. I'll, I'll do it. Yeah. That is going to be fun this next year to try some things like that. Yes. Mm -hmm. I have to write it down. Okay. Reiki. Got it. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Would you like to do some some shout outs? Yeah, I'll thank some Annabelles. All right, go for it, bro. I would like to thank the following Annabelles for supporting us on this show so we can have our studio and staff and all these things. Uh, Mackenzie Hall. Thank you. The Sixth Crow. Candace C. <laughs> DJ, DJ Rickety Bridge. That's a pretty funny DJ name. DJ name. Uh, Jumaine. Lady Stormageddon, Dark Lord of All. I like that one. <laughs> Me too. I don't know who you are, but I really like you. Ashley Newsom, uh, Reese M. Jacobson, Andrea Miller, and- Hold on, you meshed that all together. Was it Reese- oh, I'm sorry. Uh, Ashley Newsom, one person. Next person, Reese M. Jacobson. Oh, okay. Next person, Andrea Miller. Final person, Moonlight Joy. Okay, I was confused. I thought it was Reese M. Like, I thought it was like- Six names. Oh, yeah, Wait, yeah. What, what, what? You, you, you <laughs> up all of a sudden. Jacobson, Andrea Miller, Rutherford, Rutherford the third Esquire. Exactly. Yeah. I would like to thank the following Annabelles for supporting us on Patreon. Uh, you make so many things possible around here. B. James, Hero Hero. Just in case you didn't get it the first time. Uh -huh. Hero. Uh, I need a hero holding on to the thing. That's beautiful, okay. Dan. Justin Gurdum. 
Edwin Cortez, Maureen Angle, Only AJ, Jordan V, Eric Garcia, Amy Johnson, Trick Riley, Seppel Frick, Starlord. That's, that's all one. Just, just again, for anybody who didn't catch that. Amy Johnson, Trick Riley, Seppel Frick, Starlord. That's great. That's great. Hilarious. And Trisani Bennett. Nice. And then I have a few spoopa shout outs. Okay. To Brandy from Slayer. Here's hoping you don't join the 27 Club, even though we know you're talented enough to, oh. with love and appreciation from some bitch to a special bastard. Ah, that is ah. one hell of a shout out. Love it. To Dr. Spicy from Boo. Happy birthday. You're an amazing wife and cat mom. Keep on being spicy. To Morgan from Justin. Happy birthday. To Shayla from Shayla. Happy birthday to myself. To Aaron, a.k.a. my beautiful queen from your King Zach. Happy birthday. I hope we had a blast in Vegas together on our first trip there. You are not one in a million, but you are one in a lifetime. Aww. I love you always and forevermore. So, so sweet. sweet. Yeah. When's the last time you got I, me a sweet I shout out? I literally knew you were going to say that next. I Because like the extra sweet ones, I'm like, oh man. Uh-huh. It's like when I watch a, a rom-com or just a drama with you. I'm like, when are you watching a rom-com? Because I hate those. Yeah, I guess I haven't. I don't know when I've seen a rom-com. <laughs> I was trying to think of- uh, a, Are you watching those with your succubus? <laughs> Is that where this all began? When I watch any scene in any movie- where there's like oh. the dude does a really over the top romantic gesture. Uh -huh, I know and what you're thinking internally, of right now. Internally, I'm just like, oh shit. Currently, he's thinking we're watching uh, Lessons in Chemistry, uh -huh. and he prepares uh -huh. this like beautiful, so sweet candlelight dinner, even though he can't cook. I know. I which know. is, do you guys know how many meals Dan has cooked for me? Okay, that <laughs> that is our show. Thank you for continuing to send in your personal tales of terror to my story at scaredtodeathpodcast.com. You can email us for everything else at info at scaredtodeathpodcast.com. If you make giant romantic dinners for your spouse, you can write into gofuckyourself.com. Thank you to Tyler C. Why do I have to go fuck myself? <laughs> I mean, so I said, uh, thanks to Tyler C. for scoring and publishing today's show. Thanks to Heather Rylander for organizing the My Story emails, to book editor Drew Atana, polishing and preparing listener stories for book number five. Thank you to producer Sophie Evans for finding the first story I shared this week and to Olivia Lee finding the second we are on YouTube if you'd like to watch us. Do it. Uh, we're on Facebook and Instagram where we post pics and accompany episodes and more at Scared to Death Podcast. We also have a private Facebook group, Creeps and Peepers, full of fellow horror lovers. Happy Thanksgiving and enjoy your nightmares, Creeps and Peepers, and hope you were scared to death. Bye. If spirits threaten me in this place, fight water by water and fire by fire. Banish their souls into nothingness and remove their powers until the last trace. Let these evil beings flee through time and space. Evil may pass through, but have no home here within scared to death. Bad Magic Productions. Which is, do you guys know how many meals Dan has cooked for me? Okay. <laughs>